how you're there and then, it's not really, it's a mental here, so to speak, yeah, or a time here. So the time here always, in that here, no matter what's going on, what the mind recollects is a past and a future. Even though it's not seeing a past or future, it conjures it up, yeah? So every time the mental condition is running the show, the here that we're in is, is, engaged, is in time, and it's bookended by the past and future. So even if there's like a... When the mental uh, condition gets downsized, let's say if you're doing something you really like to do or you get into a zone, you know, like riding or surfing or whatever, at that point, the mental condition is downsized, so then you are here without a bookend. And then, but when the mental condition rises again, it claims that you were the one that was here, and then you're back into time. You know, your mind is back into time again. And then you're wanting to have, now that being here is a past event that you like to have in the future. You know? So your mind now obsesses over that moment it thought it was in when it felt so great. But really what it was feeling was the absence of itself. Yeah. It had forgotten itself sufficiently that there was a real sense of freedom, but the mental condition comes back up, tries to claim it, and says, I was the one who was free in that moment, and now I'm going to use this moment to try to get back to that moment. Yeah. See how the time gets injected so quickly. So he's saying that you, you can't be in the holy instant if there's any reservate without a reservation, uh, because there's got to be a letting go of that past or future. Yeah. Now, what comprises the past and future? I would say is self. Yeah. Because we need a past and a future to remember self. You need to remember it because it's not actually uh, activated. It's not really doing anything to to uh, cause this to happen. It's just like an addition, a mental addition, and that it needs to be remembered. So it can't be remembered here, but it can remember it by the past, yeah? And then you remember it by worrying about it in the future, yeah? The mind uses the future as a way of remembering itself. So when you're thinking about what's going to happen in the future, it usually concerns you, yeah? You're in there somehow. And so you're getting remembered, and you're getting remembered when you go back into the past, when you feel something or rethink something or rehash something. It's you that's doing it, and it's, it's about you. So for me, the sense of self, because it isn't so, it has to be remembered, yeah? So the mind has to remember it. So it has ways of triggering that remembrance. One of them is the claiming of conscious contact. So whatever happens, it's remembered as you're the one who did it, yeah? That's how it's held. Or when it goes into thought, it, this thought stream, and your attention goes into those, that thought stream, it goes back to, it pictures you somewhere else at some other time, and that you is identified as a body, yeah? So when you think about you, it's very, you can't think about you as a spirit, but you can think about you as a body, yeah? You can remember what you were wearing, supposedly, how you felt, yeah? You know, where you're having a bad hair day or a good hair day, there's a lot of ways to sort of plant a, 
a flag and remember you as a body. You can't remember you as a spirit. I mean, you know, it's uh, you can't go. Oh, I remember this space. You know, I I think I've seen this space before. You know, <laughs> the space hasn't moved one bit. It's always space. But we're now trying to make it. Oh, that was such a great space I was in that day. <laughs> you know what I mean? So this whole idea of remembering it, remembering the self, anything that sort of. Uh, cuts that off or shocks it into stopping is probably when you feel the best, you know? Because at that moment, you're living life relieved from the bondage of self. You know, it's like you're not, you're not dragging that big, it's actually a, a baggage with small bags. You're dragging it into each moment. It's such a fucking drag, really. Because you really like to let yourself go, but you're already spoken by, by tons of stuff. I mean, Oh, you really want to see me? You gotta have all, you gotta, you gotta have all this, you know what I mean? Hey, I'd like you to come over, okay. <laughs> and then, <laughs> let me tell you what's not happening. <laughs> yeah? So, the idea, like we read last week, uh, there's a Zen master that was in Japan. He went, he was one of the first Japanese guys who went over to China and came back with, like, Chinese Zen called Chan, and uh, I think, I think that was the story. His name was Dogen or Dogen. I don't know what they're called. D-O-G-E-N. But he has a really nice statement. He says, you know, I think the Buddha way is about learning about the self. Learning about the self is to forget the self. That's the whole point of it, yeah? When you learn about it, because the self is an activity, yeah? It's an activity. It's sort of like there's a, there's a, you know, ever hear of Sufism? Sufism has a, Thing got really popular, I don't know how maybe in the 70s, this little thing that Sufism came up with called the Enneagram. And the Enneagram was a way of breaking down all the basic characters that anyone could display as an action figure, as a self. So they had nine basic characterizations with two subdivisions. So there was like 27 like sort of characters that you would fall under. You know, everyone on the planet would fall on one of those, yes? And so people would do retreats, not that long ago, they're still doing them, and they were going to learn, and they called, they had numbers, it was like one to nine, yeah? And so they would say, uh, and so somebody would listen to a description of nine, and one of the teachers would say, you're a nine, and then the person would go, fucking, I'm a nine! But the whole point is, you're not a nine, Yeah? By having the nine described to you and having it said to be, that's exactly how you're appearing. The next step is, and I'm not that. Yeah. That's called learning about the self to forget the self. But people would come into the Enneagrams, they had enough identification going on, and they had one more thing to become identified with and to talk about when they left. I think you're a nine with a sexual six subdivision or something. This is what they do. And it would go, yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, and the whole, everyone afterwards goes to lunch and they're all, oh, I'm a six, I'm a five. The whole point is you're not. I would say anyway. Maybe it's the, that's their point. But for me, it was like, take it a step further. All right, I learn about the self, broken up into this Sufism way of the Enneagram. I learn about selfing, and yet to stay there, to stop there is self-knowledge. And then you go to recovery, and it says self-knowledge avails you nothing. Yeah. If you learn about the self and take and take what you've learned to be you, that's self-knowledge. Yeah. To learn about the self and to take what you've learned to be you is self-knowledge. 
It's not going to avail you nothing. You're just going to know more about what you're not. Yeah? But you're not going to know it's not you. You're going to be living, and so you're going to be acquiring more knowledge about self with the hopes that you'll become, you'll authenticate your real self, which is like a giant booby prize. It's just a giant carrot in front of the horse or the donkey, yeah, and just drive seeking because because you have a sense that if myself truly got authenticated, if I was fully expressing myself every moment, if I was flowing, I was flowing with the moment. As if the, the moment is like a, a sled that I'm going to ride, you know. If I was really falling through, it would be lovely, it would be beautiful. Yet, what you're recognizing right now is it isn't like that. So your real reality, yeah, is the opposite of what you hope to be when you're authenticated. Yeah. The mind is, is sticking it up the butt while you're, while you're t- talking about great authentication and relief. You're bonded to the idea because right now your recognition is I'm not there. <clears throat> and what happens if you don't believe you're here and you're not there, you're going to seek. The mind is going to seek to try to get where it wants to be. But if it's a magical, conceptual place that doesn't exist, you're never going to arrive. Yeah? And what's going to be, quote-unquote, authenticated as you is in the living of it all day, which is selfing. You're going to be taking, the selfing is going to be producing its product, which is that feeling of being you, and you're hook, line, and sinker in that that project, yeah? It builds mental houses, and by the time you know that it's built, you're in it. You're paying rent. You can't get off the lease. You're, You're mortgaged up the wazoo. The best thing is to see it in the blueprint room, to recognize that it's a structure and therefore, no house needs to be built, so you don't have to try to get out of something you're not in. Yeah, that's the freedom from selfing. Is you recognize, no matter how much is revealed about you, you're not that. Yeah, no matter how much that's revealed about you, you're not that. Yeah, no matter how much, no matter how mm, beautifully sublime it is, it's not you. <laughs> You mean, yeah, I mean, no matter how sublime it gets, no matter how tasty it is, it's not you. Because there's a seeing of it, yes? There's a sense of it. There's a feeling that I'm that. There's a something and that it wasn't so and now it's so, and if I don't really work hard at it, it won't be so again. That's not it. Yeah. What we're actually swimming in, the sea of awareness, there's no way we can exist outside of it. We're not amphibians. We can't. We don't have choice to drag ourselves out of awareness and then recognizing my big mistake, try to make a decision to go back into it. You can't leave. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. You're not the gatekeeper, nor you are you the one that's walking through the gate. And there is no gate. It's always available at all times, with no requirement necessary. But one requirement is, like they say, is the difference between heaven and hell. And there's going to be a distance created. Once there's a requirement for you to be okay, then there'll be more requirements added to that requirement. And then the distance between heaven and earth will start appearing. So this thing I was going to read, I think I will now.
one of my favorite chapters is I need do nothing. It's a great chapter. It says, you still have too much faith in the body as the source of strength. So it's basically saying you still identify too much as the body. What plans do you make that do not involve its comfort or protection or enjoyment in some way? What plans do we make that do not involve its comfort or protection or enjoyment in some way? Talking about the body. This makes the body an end and not a means to your interpretation. See, the, the identification with the body is an interpretation and we're at the, it's completed already. We're living as if that's so, yeah? So the interpretation, once it gets in place, it geometrically progresses. That's what happens, yeah? Once there's, let's say you made a tiny little mistake, but that tiny mistake had time and space to develop, it would geometrically progress, let's say, into a giant state of ignorance, yeah? One little tiny little, but with time, a lot of time for it to keep going and space to fill, it geometrically progresses. So this makes a body an end. In other words, I'm looking out for the body. I'm not seeing it as a form of interpretation. I'm seeing it as an established fact, yeah, that I miss or I have one, yeah? I don't see it as a vehicle to express mind. I see it as the end-all and be-all. That if the body isn't in good shape, the mind won't be in good shape. And you've got to realize that in most cases with people, that's the case, yeah? So this makes the body an end, not a means in your interpretation. And this always means you still find sin attractive. And we have to go into sin, what they mean about it. We won't do it now. No one accepts atonement for himself who still accepts sin as his goal. You have, in other words, atonement is you have to look and see others as nothing ever happened. You never did anything to me. I've never done anything to anyone else, yeah? Atonement is prior to forgiveness. Forgiveness assumes that something happened, and therefore I... But atonement is, you see nothing has ever happened. And the whole gist of the Course in Miracles is, you're not going to leave this dream unless everyone leaves the dream. See it? It's sort of like one lady I used to say, says, oh, I got out of my ego, but everyone else's ego is bothering me. Yeah? That's not how it works. It's sort of like, when you see that there is no self maybe here, it's applied to everyone. So if there's a freedom for this, there's a freedom for all of that. Yeah? So this is a big movement in, in, uh, called the atonement in the Course of Miracles. So it's when you recognize in the holy instant, instant what you're not, there's a scene from what you are. And what you see yes, needs not be changed in a sense. Yeah? Inherently there's that quality that can't be altered by behavior or by circumstances or conditions. An unwavering light, let's say. Yeah? That's not getting affected by all these mental winds blowing and all these expressions of craziness going on out here. So, you have that, uh, you have that not met your own responsibility. Atonement is, our, is not welcomed by those who prefer pain and destruction. There is one thing that you have never done. You have not utterly forgotten the body. And in a sense, the way I see it with this, the body is like a, a flagpole representing the one who owns the body, which is a mental condition, yes? That, that 
that phantom-like apparition that you never see, but you assume is there because it claims everything that happens, and it uses everything to point a finger, a mental finger, to its substance, yeah? That sense of being a mental condition, the sense of being a self. Most people don't think they're a body, but they definitely feel they have a body. That there's something or in there that has a body, yeah? They may think it's spirit, but I would say that something that has a body is mental. It's a mental condition called selfing, yeah? So there is one thing that you have never done. You have not utterly forgotten the body. It has perhaps faded at times from your sight, but it has not yet completely disappeared. You are not asked to let this happen for more than an instant, yet it is in this instant that the miracle of atonement happens. So when you see, when when there's a recognition you're not the body, then you're not the doer of the actions, yes? If you're not the doer of the actions, then nothing has actually happened, ever. And if nothing ha- not, has not happened, then there's no guilt or, or forgiveness, yeah? And like he's saying, it may only occur in an instant, but I've noticed in an instant, a holy instant, uh, the download that can occur isn't based on quantity that has to be managed through time. It, a huge amount of information can come in no time at all. Yeah. So one glimpse that of what you're not is being, is the real raw being of what you are. It has a huge impression, yeah? You may forget, but you never, never really forget. You may forget here, but you always somehow remember it again to a point where it will stabilize. Yeah? So that holy instinct will become the basis of your day instead of a time, a moment in time bookended by more time. You know, And obviously, you and I are just a form of expression, so whatever has the most of us, most of this opportunity is going to have the most say. Selfing has the most of this opportunity. It's going to be expressing its its desires and its view of life and its perspective. Yes, it's going to rely on itself, a mental condition, to be the know all and be all, to be the chooser and the doer. When that's forgotten, when you learn that it may not be you, and you have an opportunity to forget it, then something else dominates, where you have a lot more freedom because it's not bookended by time. Yeah. You're inherently okay before you go out all day trying to make yourself better. You're inherently okay. Yeah? And then the attack thoughts are attacking your invulnerability. Because you're inherently okay. <laughs> I used to love this, man. I used to go to these retreats and we'd just laugh four days in a row just because we'd read this stuff and it would be, it's amazing, I don't know what your reaction would be, but my reaction to, to quote-unquote, seemingly living in the house of cards was hilarious. I just couldn't believe how real and solid I thought everything was, and then to have it proven, in a sense, by my own gut that it's not so was hilarious. It provoked a lot of laughter. <laughs> we can get up to a whole lot of bullshit, man, take it really seriously. <laughs> So, at no single instant does the body exist at all. It is always remembered or anticipated. So that's the past and the future we were just talking about, yeah? 
So you, as a body, he's, he, they're using the identification as a body to represent selfing, I would say. For you to be remembered, it has to be the past and the future, yeah? It's got to be dwelling in an idea called the past, because that's how it sees you, yeah? By referring everything back to where you were, or how you felt, or what you were doing, and then speculating what you will be doing, what you will be feeling. It's the same movement, but one goes into what is called the past, and one goes to a future. And it's not there to mine any nuggets in the past or future. It's there to remember the self and remember itself. Yeah? Because it can't conjure itself up here. It's got to remember itself. So, uh, yeah. Time. And it, 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 oh, this is beautiful. It is always remembered or, or anticipated, but never experienced just now. Ah, sweet. Only... It's past and future make it seem real. Jesus, this is, I'm getting prescient. I'm saying stuff, and then the next sentence says it. Exactly. <laughs> I love when you're on the wavelength, man. How do you say that again? If you have any questions, say it. You will have a different meaning tonight. But check this out. Only in the past and future makes it seem real. Yeah. Because it's remembered there. If it's not remembered, it doesn't seem real. It has to be remembered. Yeah. So it can't conjure itself up here because the dominant of the holy instant is too strong. But in its own making of time, it can use time to think of you, to remember you. Yeah. So time controls it entirely. For sin is never holy in the present. In any single instant, the attraction of guilt would be experienced as pain and nothing else and would be avoided. It has no attraction now. Its whole attraction is an imaginary and therefore must be thought of in the past or in the future. Where does guilt come from? The sense of being the doer, yeah? How would you have guilt for an action if it wasn't yours? Yeah? Let's say you had guilt for an action your dog did but you think it's your dog. So it still will go that far. To, so whatever you think is yours, like your kid or this and that, you'll get guilty about something they do, yeah? But then it's usually, back, you know, it evaporates after it goes down a couple more lines. So let's say it's you, you get guilty about, let's say, a friend makes an ass of himself, or your girlfriend, or a kid, or an animal. But then basically, yeah, then everyone is blamed after that, right? <laughs> so in any, in any single instant so guilt in a sense here you would want to avoid just like if a big bug landed on you there would be no question about knocking it off Yeah, that's the incredible thing about alcoholism because if you see alcoholism as a parasite you would realize that the first reaction would have been to throw it off but because it gets hold of us and then starts jacking into what produces the sense of self, and now the parasite hides under our own clothing, yeah? it hides under our own identification, we, our whole ability to be free from it gets neutered because we can't entertain, entertain freedom from it because we're it. So we can only entertain freedom for it. You see how it's unbelievable? 
If the parasite's not seen as a foreign installment, the best you can do is try to learn how to live with it or get therapy for it or try to make sure I don't act out in certain situations that I really want to go a certain way and try to, you know, limit my affairs because you know, all this stuff. You would see most of your behavior would be attempted to accommodate what's not accommodable. You know, that's a word, you know? Something that's hostile, that is, has a sort of a hostile, let's say, parasitical nature. It's like a snake, no matter how nice you are to it and feed it and everything and put it in a nice shoebox, so inevitably it's going to bite you because it's what? A snake. That's its nature, yeah? So if this mental parasite is a, it has that tendency, it's not going to shift, no matter how nice you are to it, no matter how many times you give in to it, no matter how many times, no matter how many times you follow its advice, it's still, you're never going to win it over. Yeah? So it's saying here, I think I lost it already. Well, it was saying here. <laughs> I lost it. I lost, hey, I need you nothing. <laughs> That's the whole point. The whole point is it goes into this chapter about, all right, let's say you're drawn to meditation. And it says, if the mind is drawn to meditation, it will inevitably succeed, but it may take a lot of time. Maybe you're drawn to a life of contemplation. That will also succeed, but it may take a lot of time. And he says, well, if you happen to fall upon this book, it may be indicating to you that this is going to be the method or whatever, the invitation that you're going to entertain. And if it does, its whole purpose is to save you time. And the whole, how it saves you time is, instead of working your fucking butt off, seemingly, for 30 years to get to the point where the realization dawns on you, I need do nothing, we're going to start there. <laughs> we're going to start at I need do nothing. <laughs> and then see all the stuff that gets aggravated and irritated that come up. When you sit and entertain, hey, I need you nothing, you're going to see the committee arise and start saying, no, 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 no. You need to do a lot of stuff, and so on and so forth. And you'll watch it, yeah? You'll watch it, and in seeing it, sooner or later, there's a recognition that, hey, I'm not that, and then the emphasis is on the seeing of it. It may only be one moment. But that moment, one moment is like uh, worth 800 pages of scriptures. You'll get a download and see, hey, I'm not that. Once it's not that, now you're learning about self, and in that learning, you're forgetting it. Because everything you learn distills into, hey, I'm not that. And if it's not about you, you lose interest in it. I've seen that. It's a commonality of everyone I know. They're really keen when they think something's about them. But if as soon as they realize it's not about them, some of their interest drops. You know, some some incredibly so, but there's always a drop in interest when you realize it's not about you. <laughs> you have to apply it. Apply it to that K Paul or K Jeff. Apply it to that. Yeah? If that station ain't me, or it's not about me, you're gonna lose interest in it. And then the listening to it is going to shift into hearing it, yeah? Because you're conscious, so you're going to hear it, but that's as far as it's going to go. You're not going to listen to it. It's totally different when you hear it and listen to it, yeah? It has much more impact when you're listening to it than when you hear it. Hearing it, you're the only one who's hearing it. Listening to it, others are going to see it's living out on you because you're going to act on it, yeah? 
But hearing it, you're the only one who's hearing it, yeah? And if you can just weather the storm, storm like they just had this, uh, some lady was sharing me some brain research, and she said, they're studying about anger, and they say anger, when anger flares up, it's like a 90-second, like, sunburst, you know? 90 seconds. And so in recovery, we have a thing called the pause. So if you can just stay in the pause, that restraint of pen and tongue, for 91 seconds, you're home free. Yeah? If you can just not act out for 90 seconds. Yeah? See, this is so funny, because in the mental stream, 90 seconds is nothing until the selfie wants it to be something. Then it's like a fucking eternity, isn't it? Haven't you ever felt when you felt really uncomfortable? It's almost unbearable not to do something, yeah? And yet, most of the time, you're totally spaced out to the condition you are right now. But when the condition's bad, you're incredibly sensitive to it. And it's like, fucking, you gotta put on a jacket, you know, a straight jacket, not to fucking say something or do something to fuck things up. What the hell is going on, you know? You gotta realize that the mind, the conditional mind, does not live by its own rules. It doesn't follow time. It uses time, yeah? It doesn't follow time. The feeling of being Paul is a product that happens later in time, right? It takes time to produce a sense of being Paul. But as soon as the sense of Paul's produced, you feel like you were there before the production. Yeah, don't you? Don't you feel like when something, when something in your head catches you, don't you feel like a historical Jeff? Your mind remembers how many times you've been caught before by this, and that it's never going to, you know? It just rips. It has no respect for time. Hello? It has no respect for time other than the use of it. If it can use it to sort of embellish or to sort of cause your attention to be uh, directed towards it, it will do it. Yeah, but it's not living by its own rules. You are, yeah, in a sense. It's almost like a form of slavery. Yeah, it's like those people that used to say, "Don't do what I do, but do what I say." <laughs> the selfing is not doing what it says at all. It's it's using everything. So this whole idea of I need do nothing, why not start there? And then see all the considerations and the, and the ideas about how much you need to do arise. And maybe, if not, if you can see it, what quality is exhibited when you're seeing it? Seeing, isn't it? Seeing. There must be an awareness of the thought that's bringing you so much information, isn't there? There must be an awareness of it. And if you notice that you, the feeling of you come and go, it expands and contracts, sometimes it feels good, sometimes it doesn't, all this and it goes on and on and on and on and on, but the seeing of it doesn't change, yeah? There's an awareness, yeah? How much do the, how, the information in what thought you're listening to may be different, but is the seeing of it different? The thought maybe, when it's seen, may, may uh, give birth to other meanings and thoughts, but is the seeing of it different? Is every thought, different thought matched with a different seeing? Or is the seeing the constancy that allows everything to come and go? Yeah? For everything to be noted in, by coming and going, it has to be coming and going in some kind of field, and I would say that's the field of awareness. You know, if you really would track your lineage, like those internet sites where you, your family tree, if you would just uh, 
follow your own existence today, you would end up in awareness, yeah? And I don't see how you could go any farther than that. And that the awareness is the bringer of everything else. Because everything else wouldn't be everything else unless it was seen, yeah? So is everything else bringing me the seeing, or is the seeing recognizing everything else? Is the world real, or is it the seeing the real? Yeah? Is the world truly in the state of seemingly, which means it appears to be true or false to you? And what's allowing that appearance to occur is the seeing, yeah? What more reliable state than a non-state? What more reliable thing but a no-thing? Yeah? Something not of this place. Relying or having faith in mind. Not the conditional mind. See, that's the trippy thing. Mind is like, is tattooed with the qualities of the conditional mind, you know? The selfing aspect. But mind itself, so therefore, most, a lot of people who have relied on self, it has proven to be unreliable. So there's a fear, there's a doubt always, yeah? But mind itself, to have that fear and doubt applied to mind is crazy. Where mind, like that old Zen treatise says, faith mind, so have faith in mind. And if you have faith in mind, when everything's going on, you'll just yell, not to. You'll realize all there is is mind, yeah? And it's probably going to have a soothing effect on the action figure, yes? The vehicle or the camera that's constantly agitated may sort of calm down a little bit so that mind can reflect that utter simplicity of awareness. So you can have a quote-unquote sense of it now, an intimation of it now, not as a future hope if you're really good, but you'll be able to enjoy peace of mind now because how can you enjoy peace of mind when your camera casing is totally agitated all the time, yeah? The light isn't agitated. The light's moving through the camera. The awareness is moving through the camera. But when it turns into, goes through the camera and the camera's agitated, it will seem as, we're, as if we're unclear, yeah? It will seem as if we're unconscious. It will seem as if we're ignorant. It will seem as if we're lacking something. It will seem as if we're going to have to do a yeoman's job to try to get to a point of enjoying peace. But let's say if the agitation of the camera is taking itself to be the light, the identification as a self, if that's not so, maybe the camera will become still. And then you'll see blue is blue and red is red, and the mind will be able to reflect that that's clarity of light. Yeah. And of course, it's going to seek expression here through you, through this opportunity. Yeah. You'll have a sense of contentment. You won't be looking any farther ahead than right now because you know this is the prize. And not keep your two eyes on it, but keep the eye on the prize. Keep the mind on the prize. Yeah. And considering the mind, the prize is everywhere at all times, is not even a keeping your mind on the eye. Just recognize it can't be any other way. Just like if, if you really have a sense that something's not happening, you won't be provoked to take any action because that's all the action that's needed is to see it's not happening. 
You lose interest in it, and then it loses its effect on you. Yeah, and sooner or later you realize why it's having such a huge effect on me is because there's a huge amount of interest going into it from supposedly me. <laughs> so I'm really interested in it. I really want it to be a certain way, and now it's having a huge effect. It's sort of that statement that you and I are the dreamer of the dream. We forgot we're dreaming it, and we've given everything that we're direct, we've dreamt the power to affect us. Yeah. So you're giving the meaning to a relationship, and now that meaning is biting you in the ass. Yeah? And you can't get out of this loop of self-importance. And it provokes guilt, like the Course would say. The guilt, I believe, the Course is attempting to say, I could be totally wrong, I'm not a, you know, fucking whatever, an authority on the Course. I just used it to the point that it allowed me to entertain something. I need to do nothing. And that was part of needing to do nothing was to read the course. <laughs> I didn't need to read the course anymore. I mean, when it says I need to do nothing, that's what it actually means. I need to do nothing. <laughs> but the idea of guilt is, for me, comprised perfectly in an example when I was a kid and my uh, father got ill when I was six in uh, Mass People Park, Hickory Street. Mass People and grew up there. And, uh, you know, I was just a little kid doing whatever they're doing. My father played with me a lot and uh, my older brother and stuff. And then my father got really ill and he couldn't play with me anymore. So my family, my mother talked to me about it. My grandmother talked to me about it. I think Dr. Jan Quinto came, our family doctor, and talked to me about it. And, you know, maybe I logically understood, but in my, in my, the way my mind was structured, the self-centeredness, the only thing I could come up with, I must have done something for my mother, my father not to want to play with me. That's called the guilt. Yeah? Their idea of the guilt is that this place that we're seemingly in, yeah, let's say you believe there's a unity and a wholeness and the beauty of the universe and love is the source of all, yet your daily experience doesn't seem to suit that idea. Yes? And then you reckon, you look at that and go, oh, so there is this perfect condition, yet it doesn't seem to be happening here. And then you'll always fall upon you as being the cause. Like you separated yourself from God, you separated yourself from that joy and that peace, and it produces a huge amount of guilt. Yeah? A guilt that you can never overcome. Yeah? Why? Because it never actually happened. You never separated yourself from the truth. This place isn't real. Yeah? No matter how much you provoke it and believe it to be, it's not. And all like that. But as long as the guilt, as long as the dream is seen as a reality, the guilt keeps perpetuating. Yeah? And it's causing a lot of agitation and disease. And of course, we try to get relief, and that's part of the problem. Yeah. You've been free. <laughs> I don't have to do any more. Huh? Don't have to do any more. That's right. Except go to the bathroom and stuff like that. <laughs> so, yeah. So in AA, it's just you're just attempting the study about the self, yeah, with the hopes that you'll forget the self. If you forget the self, like Saint Francis says. When you forget, it's in self-forgetting that you're reborn. Yeah. It's in self-forgetting. While you're self-forgetting, you seemingly are reborn into the state you never left. That's the condition. Yeah. 
Now, if the self is in place, you'll try to become the one who gets reborn, and that will just be the morphing of selfing once again, yeah? And it'll keep on morphing. Every time it claims something and gets away with the heist, it will use whatever that is to morph into another form of selfing, yeah? So you'll never be, you'll be reborn, but as that all the time, yeah? So how can you lose interest in self as a self? It's impossible. Yeah, that would be an that would be a form of interest, wouldn't it? So self can't get out of self. It stops you right at the first square before you even make the move. When someone says, "Hey, sign up for a two-year course studying about the obsession with self," that could be construed as obsession with self. Studying about obsession with self. Yeah. So you can't get out of it. Self can't get out of self. So it's really great because you'll maybe you'll drop, stop, and realize I need to do nothing. Everything I do tends to sort of uh, allow a geometric progression of the in- initial ignorance. Yeah? To try to undo the ignorance just re- sort of reaffirms the reality of the ignorance. So you have to really, well, do nothing. Yeah. And then this happens every day. It's when you, I need to do nothing, <laughs> beautiful vista opens up, your mind can enjoy peace, yeah? And if it's not bookended with a time where you didn't enjoy peace or a time that you want to enjoy peace, then you'll be able to actually maybe stabilize in that sense of peace, yeah? As long as you don't bring time into the equation, and time's only going to be brought into the equation when you are, then the equation can stabilize, yeah? Any questions? Yes. The guilt, guilt that you know, you used to be a father. Yeah. Where you know, as a child you identify and might feel like you caused, and there's guilt that we well, actually did do something to hurt somebody else. Yeah. And you feel guilty. Yeah. And then the other part is letting go of something that somebody did to you. That's right. So there's certainly at least two differences between the first guilt of of where you really didn't do anything and then the second guilt where you might have done something. And the idea is to not, to to forgive is to, I I don't remember exactly, but... um, Well, the thing is, if there wasn't a thing I did and a thing I didn't do, in both cases, there was no doer, yeah? Things just happen. Like Buddha says, you know, events happen, deeds are done, but there's no individual doer thereof. He's not saying that's only on Wednesdays and Fridays. You know, (laughs) he's making a blanket statement of the basic condition. Events happen, like this is an event, though a rather small one. Deeds are being done, but there is no individual doer thereof. 
It's a beautiful statement. Yeah. Now that's something you can't practice, but it's a possibility that can be entertained. Yeah. You can entertain it. You can allow, just like for me, you know, I had heard about this thing called surrender when I got introduced to the spiritual path when I was like 18. And uh, I thought I knew what surrender was and stuff like that. And then I got a lot of horrendous things happened to me, and I would imagine that would have provoked a surrender. But nothing ever really radically changed. And then one day, the last day I had a drink, something happened where my mind froze, and then something downloaded and changed my life here in the last 24 years. And I recognize that as surrender, what happened. Yeah. Now, that that's what it means to me. And you and I are giving everything all the meaning it has. And that has a lot of flesh and blood to me, because it was a profound demonstration and something, and a radical shift occurred in my life. I was busily using and getting loaded that day, and then it stopped, and I haven't gotten loaded and drinking for 24 years. Yeah. So some, it was a big demarcation. And I felt like that's what surrender means. And now that that I I know that yeah intimately in my gut, I can entertain it. So I can actually entertain surrendered now. I don't need to have a circumstance to provoke it anymore. Yeah, I can just entertain it. Now that to me is that's what I that's that to me is faith in mind. I believe if mind gets hears the message, yeah. I have faith that it can entertain it. And then things are going to happen, like some miraculous, marvelous things may happen in your life. And they may not be so noticed, but I bet you you'll travel lighter on a consistent level than you used to before. That's what I've seen with people who listen to this and myself. Yeah. So I couldn't entertain surrender. All I could entertain was my concepts of surrender. But then something happened in this life, and I got a, a what I would call a, a, a profound demonstration that I deem surrender. Yeah, I don't conceptualize it. It's a ta- it's a sense, and that to me, it, that's got value in it. Yeah, because my mind knows what that is, and it can entertain it. Just like when I used to do qigong. After all the time you do Qigong, now you start doing it and your mind immediately gets in line. You start feeling the energy move, like in a split second where before it would take a while to provoke it. But now the mind has got it and so it just turns on. Mind is not of time. Yeah? It's, not, it's, not, it's not of time. It's of a timeless nature. So it's, it may use time to express itself and it may look like it's growing and getting wider and bigger, but that's not the nature of it. The nature of it, in a nanosecond, actually no time at all, something can occur and change you completely. Yeah? So don't under, for me, like in, in, in the program of recovery, they have a step three, which is really, really cool, and it says, you know, we're going to surrender our will and life to the care of our higher power of our own understanding. Now, over the years, I don't want to surrender it to a higher power of my own understanding. I much rather surrender to a higher power of its own understanding. Yeah? Because I much rather have it download to me what it's about than me 
know what it's about. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather receive downloads and revelations about that power instead of framing it and only accepting what I think I know about it. Yeah, I like to be surprised by it, and it surprises you quite a lot. Yeah, because that's the whole state of mind they talk about in Zen called "I don't know." The "I don't know" is I have a higher power. If I'm just using that, you know, for me, I believe the power is not anywhere. But let's say there's a higher power. Yeah, and I know it by its own understanding. And how I know it is by finding out, yeah? And by finding out is the posture to be in to find out is I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the fuck's going on, really. And then stuff downloads, and then you know, yeah? But very applicable. Not not like acquiring knowledge and putting up in a bookshelf, but it it lends itself to flexibility and lightness now, yeah? yeah? That's valuable to me. I want... I. Just like I was excruciatingly pinned to the there and then of the mental here, yeah, I really like the here of uh, here, yeah. Just like I was excruciatingly pinned by that, I'm really, I, this is what, this is cool to me, yeah. I don't really look any farther than this because it's more than enough, yeah. As soon as it gets drawn into time, it provokes anxiety, yeah. What's going to happen if I lose it? If I stop doing what I think I did to make it happen, which is totally a fucking story, then it will stop happening. And then what then? What could possibly happen to me? It'll be terrible. Yeah, all this stuff is just remembering Paul. It's all it is. It's all just attempt to conjure the one who's having the thoughts. That's all it is. It's just got one... It has all these different manifestations of the bait, but it has one hook, and the hook is, I'm that. Yeah. That's all about me. All of this is about me. 